Hello, and welcome to this Solus Church podcast. Thanks for tuning in. We pray that God speaks to you today through this message. For more sermon content and information, visit solaschurch.com. Ready to get started in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 is where we're going to be reading from this morning. And today's service is going to be a little bit different than most services um, that we have here. Um, this is going to be an orientation. Um, and uh, I, I, it's funny, I kept on wanting to say the word oriental. I don't know why, because they have nothing to do with each other whatsoever. So I actually wrote orientation down, like in big, bold letters on my paper, so that I'll make sure I say orientation. Um, but this is going to be uh, the introduction to our summer school. Summer school starts next week, as Isaac said. Um, but we are going back to school to prove to dad that I'm not a fool. I got my lunch packed up, my boots tied tight. Hope that I don't get in a fight. Any Adam Sandler fans? Any Billy Madison fans out there? Um, but we're going back to school, and for some people that are just ending school, this might be terrifying as I, I just got out of school, now I'm entering back into school, um, but it's going to be, uh, for me, a little bit more fun than school. Um, let's all stand, and uh, we'll read from the Word, and then, uh, then we'll begin. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses, verses I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You may be seated. Father, we do humbly come before you this morning and praise you for who you are and what you're doing. We praise you that we have the freedom to worship you this morning. And we praise you that we have the freedom that comes with living in the United States. Father, we ask that as we read your word and as we study about you and um, about the study of you, that uh, you speak to us, that you open um, our ears and open our hearts to things that, uh, that you need us to understand and hear and change about us. Um, Father, we ask that, uh, that you lay aside anything that's within me and you speak this morning. We ask this in your name. Amen. So back to school. Is there anybody in here that did not enjoy school growing up? I absolutely hated school growing up. Um, high school, I got good grades, but I skated by um, by a technique called spark notes and cheating. And that got me into college. And by the time I got into college, um, it wasn't even the first semester before they politely asked me to go home and not come back. And so school um, was never, never uh, something that I truly loved or uh, truly enjoyed. And, uh, and it's a little bit terrifying to, for Andrew to title something uh, summer school. Um, but the vision behind summer school and what we're getting ready to go into um, is for our church to grow in the knowledge of God and through his word by studying uh, doctrine and apologetics. And so we're going to be studying these, as Andrew calls them, nine ologies this summer. But before we jump into Andrew's nine ologies that are coming, we first have to take it back and understand what theology is. Because if we're going to be studying nine theologies, we first have to take a look about what exactly is theology. 
And uh, maybe you found yourself saying these things, you've heard yourself say these things, or maybe you've even thought of these things, but why in the world should I care about theology? All I really need is the Bible. Or I can follow Jesus without all these kinds of obscure, weird words. Or theology and doctrine aren't too important, I just need to know Jesus. And isn't Jesus enough? And uh, if you've heard a Christian say those, or if you said them yourself, or if you were too embarrassed to say those out loud and you thought those things, um, you're not alone. Uh, the vast majority of Christians um, have little to no interest in theology whatsoever. Um, most believers don't even believe that there is a correlation between their everyday Christianity and theology. Why? Because they feel um, that it's boring. They feel that it's irrelevant. They feel that it's dry. They feel that there is a complete lack of excitement. Then you have the other side of the camp of the church that are gung-ho theology, that those are the people that you consider to be wise, theologians, that you go to for advice, the people that just study and study and study all day. And then you have the, the small in-between that understands that there's a need um, for it, but they don't dedicate themselves to it. And I think that's where I would fall, somewhere in the middle, um, before I actually started taking a look at what theology is. But in order to look at these nine ologies that we're getting ready to look at, we need to understand what is meant by this word theology and what theology actually is. You see, the, one of the things that I hated about school was that school to me wasn't relevant. Um, I never thought that I was going to have to use calculus. I never thought that I was ever going to have to speak Spanish or French. Um, French, I don't think I still ever will need, but I moved to South Florida from the Northeast and now everybody speaks Spanish, so I wish I would have paid attention uh, more so to that. But I hated school because it didn't seem relevant. It didn't seem like I was actually going to be able to walk away from high school knowing all these different things that were gonna help me in life. I'm more the type of person that says, put me in it, teach me what to do, and I'll figure it out. And the cool thing about theology is that's what theology is. It's put you in it, start figuring it out, and you'll soon begin to realize how relevant theology actually is. Um, so we're going to break this into three different sections, and our first section that we're going to look at with theology is what is theology? What is theology? And if we look at the next slide, it's actually on, it's a, two words that it came from. The word theology comes from two Greek words, theos meaning God and logos meaning word. So what does theology mean? It really means word about God, or you can look at it as the knowledge about God, or if my favorite interpretation of it is, is talk about God, conversation about God. That's what theology is. It's it's not this, uh, you're sitting there reading a textbook. It's, it's you're studying so that you can talk about God. It's a, it's a conversation that happens. If you were to think about this, if I were to stand here and tell you how much I love my wife, how wonderful my wife is, how beautiful my wife is, and many of you who don't know me, you're like, oh, who's Russ's wife? And so you say, oh, can you tell me how tall your wife is? And I say, ah, you know, I really don't know. What color eyes does she have? Uh, I really don't you know, pay attention to those things about my wife. You would begin to question, do I really love my wife? 
And ultimately, do I even know what my life looks like? Can I point her out in a crowd? Um, but if you look at theology and you take a look and go back to this, this, this idea of my wife, she became my wife after steps. And so first I saw her. I became realized I was attracted to her. And I said, hey, I'm attracted to this girl. She's a good-looking girl. Let me get to know her some more. So I went up and I built up all the courage I had inside of me and I began to talk to her. Then I began to realize, hey, we have a lot in common. You know, these are the things that she likes. Okay, I'm getting to know her. And I said, you know what? Let us engage into a relationship. And so we engaged into this dating life. And there is so much that I learned um, on just on our first date um, with my wife. Um, I'll never forget, we were serving, cleaning up this place in like this dusty dirt area. We were moving furniture, moving everything, and we were wearing gym shorts and t-shirts, and um, we were sweating all day in Okeechobee, and I had dirt all up and down my legs, and uh, I asked her if she needed a ride home, and I figured, oh, a ride from Okeechobee to Boca Raton gives us a lot of like face-to-face -face time when we get to get to know each other. You know, this is the perfect thing, and so we're on our way home, and I realized, hey, let's stop and grab lunch. And so me not knowing what different restaurants were down here in the Boca Raton area, um, I picked a restaurant, pulled into the parking lot, and we walked in. And it was a weekday, and so you had all the businessmen there for their business lunches, and everyone's wearing suits and ties and dressed up real fancy. And I'm walking in there with a T-shirt with sweat all over me, with dirt that's like beaded up so it looks like I have mud going down my leg. My wife uh, girlfriend, not even girlfriend at the time, didn't have any makeup on whatsoever. She was filthy wearing a t-shirt. And I first realized that she likes to prepare herself before we go out to a place that is a little bit nicer than, uh, you know, the place that we went to. She was hoping just to go grab a burger at McDonald's, but yet I take her into a nice sit-down restaurant. And that was my first mistake. The second mistake was I ordered seared tuna as an appetizer, not knowing that she didn't eat seafood at this time. And then I insisted that she ate the seared tuna, and little did I know she ended up going to the bathroom after her bite, and then came back, and then I found out she doesn't eat seafood, and nonetheless, you know, seafood that's raw in the center. And so I began to quickly get to know my wife, and as I began to, to get to know her and all these different things about her, then we got engaged, and we deepened our relationship. And once you deepen your relationship, you really get to know them. And then came marriage. And I had no idea who my wife was until I married her. And, uh, and it was for the good. It was absolutely amazing. But that's what theology is. It's a step in the right direction towards a relationship. You begin with a thought. You begin with an idea. And then you say, oh, let me explore this. Let me spend a little bit more time in this. Let me get to know this. You know what? I really like this. So I'm going to really get to know them. And I'm going to get married to it. That's what theology is. You see, it's, it comes from uh, relationships. It comes from conversation. It comes from talking about God. So now let's go back to the original questions that I said that maybe you have said or maybe you've heard a Christian say and look at it in this light. Isn't Jesus enough? So if you ever hear that question, my response was, then if Jesus is enough, who is he? And the second that you ask that question, who is he, you stepped into the realm of theology. Just the name Jesus alone has theology built into it. You see, the next question is, or statement, we only need Jesus. Well, what about Jesus do you only need? 
The second you start questioning that comment, you enter into theology. You see, finally, the last thing I said is, I want Jesus, I don't want theology. Well, if you want Jesus and you don't want theology, you have neither because they go hand in hand. You see, you can't have Jesus and not know any propositions about him. The second that you want him, you've entered into theology. You see, theology is just a basic form of Christianity. It's intertwined. It's interleaved. Um, Think of it like this. It's your tendons and your ligaments that ties the entire Bible and everything together. That's what theology is. It ties everything together. I don't know if anybody has ever had a sprained ankle or uh, got hurt. Um, I had a terrible snowboard incident once, and I landed. I was upside down and landed on my head, and I tore all the muscles and tendons and everything uh, off the actual bones in the back of my neck. My neck was absolutely useless until it got repaired. The tendons and the muscles and everything tied my entire neck and body together. I couldn't even move. They had me in this weird thing, and I was stuck like this, and I'm trying to do school, and it was just absolutely miserable until the tendons that tied everything together brought it back. You see, the cool thing about recognizing these tendons and these different intricacies that tie everything together is you begin to see the big picture of things. So that's the ultimate idea of theology is that you begin to get interested and you begin to study and you begin to take a deeper look at it, but then you see how it all ties together and then you see the greater picture of what God truly intended. It was a couple months ago, um, my son was turning three and um, my mother-in-law and my wife, they went all out for his third birthday and decided to decorate everything. But all that week, they were purchasing things. So they would go to Party City. And my son would be there, and he would see the plates with PJ Mask, And he gets so excited that, you know, PJ Mask is on the plates. And then he would see them disappear when they got home, and he would have no idea. The next day, um, the next thing would happen where we would get, like, the, the buckets that for all the kids' things. And he gets so excited because he, has, he sees all the different action figures that he likes and that he enjoys. And then it disappears, and it's gone. Then the next day, he sees the balloons. And then the next day he sees mom buying all this candy and different things. And he's getting all excited, but then it all goes. He has no idea that we're getting ready to throw him a huge uh, birthday party. And then our father-in-law, Carlos, decides to take him out on a train, something that he absolutely loves. And while he's out on the train, my wife and my mother-in-law and everybody, they put together all the food. They put together all the decorations. They decorate our entire house while he's gone. He has no idea what's going on. He's enjoying himself on the train. He comes into the house, and in the house, we had all his cousins. We had all the fun ready to happen, and as he entered in the door, we all screamed, happy birthday. He froze with terror. (laughs) Then all of a sudden, he threw his backpack full of toys in the air and just started jumping and screaming, and I've I've never seen him act like that ever. He got so excited because all the pieces that he had been seeing throughout the entire week, they all came together. So that's theology. Theology isn't boring, it's relevant, because as you see the pieces coming together, you're going to get more excited about theology, you're going to get more excited to have this conversation about God, this talk about God, and you're continuing to go deeper and deeper and deeper. Now, to take a deeper look at theology, theology has two different sources. The first source, 
uh, is the book of nature. It's not an actual book. It's the idea of this book of nature. And if we go to Romans chapter 1, we see this idea of the book of nature. And it's Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23. Bear with me as I try to read this for you. Um, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. You see, this idea of the book of nature is the idea that God shows his divine nature and who he is through all of nature. He intended that you be able to look out into nature and see God. And whenever you looked out at nature, it was God that came to mind. But there was one problem with that, and that was sin. You see, in our sin, we reject this general revelation that God has put in front of us. You see, we would know God or worship him accurately the way that he intended us to be seen in nature because we were sinful. We corrupted this idea. And if you look at this verse in Romans that uh, it's kind of a little bit confusing, but it talks about how our sin took us so far that instead of just looking at the birds and all and saying how amazing they are and how awesome God is that he made these birds, we turned them into idols and we began to worship those idols. Now, it may not be uh, for some religions that worship animals and different things about mother nature and different things like that, but it might just be science that we've corrupted. And instead of looking to God and his creation, we're now looking to science to explain the creation. And there is great scientists that are godly scientists, but more so are the people that are looking to science as God. We corrupted it. So what did he do? He didn't just leave us with this idea and this vision of revelation inside of nature and nature alone. He left us with the second part, which was the book of Revelation. This is bibliology. This is the 66 uh, books of the Bible. And if we look at John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we'll see what is meant. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The word, the 66 chapters of revelation that God gave us, is how we study theology, is how God is going to reveal himself. He speaks directly to us. And this is in this nine-week series that we're getting ready to start with Andrew. This is where we're going to stay. This is where we're going to live. We're going to find ourselves in this bibliology of studying actual things in the Bible. And we're going to see God reveal himself through this Bible. We're going to talk about God through the Bible. You see, these two schools of theology explain who God is and what he does. And we're going to see it, and we're going to explore it. Now, it's not just the idea of what is theology that we need to look at and understand. The second part is, why is knowing theology important? Why is it valuable for Andrew to take nine weeks of our time to study these essential doctrines. Why is that important for us? Do we understand that it's important for us? And the first point that I want to make and why knowing theology is important is so that we don't find ourselves worshiping the way that we want to worship. 
You see, we can easily find ourselves worshiping the way that we want to worship. You see, God wants us to worship him rightly. It's John chapter 4, verse 24 that says this, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. You see, worship in spirit means that you're concerned with spiritual things and spiritual realities. You're not stuck up in the places and you're not stuck up with the uh, outward sacrifices. And then the other aspect of worshiping him in spirit and truth is truth. It's the idea that we're sticking to the whole counsel of God and his word. And that we're going to him um, with the display of I am truthfully wanting to grow with you. You see, we can't truly know God or live for God until we know all the facts about God. So we truly can't know God or live for God until we know all the facts about God. So we are going to be studying God so that we can understand about him. You see, it's not just that. Has anybody ever encountered an issue, a thing that you're struggling with? Theology might be the answer to that. You see, many issues that we encounter, we look at as a practical issue. And so we practically try to walk out, how do I solve this issue that I am currently in? Because I can practically do it myself. And what you're doing by practically walking it out and solving it is you're removing God from it. But I would attest that most of the issues, most of the struggles that we face, they are theological issues. They are theological things. Have, has any of you guys ever felt downcast? Have you ever had difficulty believing that God loves you? or how God loves you, or how God accepts you. You see, that's not a practical or devotional thing. That's a theological thing. It's the idea that we're not feeling the true weight of justification of God. And so that's where theology steps in, is once we start to understand the true, what truly justification is, it solves that problem. You see, has anybody ever felt discouraged, or you felt like you had too high of expectations on you, and you became discouraged from that? You see, that's because we don't have a correct view of sanctification. And if we had a correct view of sanctification, our mindset would begin to change. All right? Has anybody had a hard time praying? Right? The last couple uh, weeks that we've been going through, we just did an entire series on prayer. What Andrew was doing was walking us through the theology of prayer to teach us how to pray. So if you had a problem with prayer, you didn't know what prayer was, you didn't know how to interact with God, you didn't know how to have that conversation with God, Andrew walked us through the theology of prayer so that we could understand and get to know God more so that we could communicate in prayer with him better. You see, theology is going to change the way that we look at things. It's going to change the way that we act. It's not going to allow us to just do what we want to do. Because if we do what we want to do, most of the time we're going to do the incorrect thing. God has different standards than us humans. God has different ways of looking at things. He has different desires for us than we have for ourselves. You see, one of the most valuable things is to recognize that we do not worship God or walk the way that God intends us to, and we need to change our perspective. Um, Maybe you guys grew up and your first job, you were a waitress or a waiter, all right? How could you be a good waiter or a waitress if you don't know the menu? 
for me, there is nothing more pleasant than going out to eat and eating at a restaurant and looking at the menu, having questions, and then going to the waiter and saying, hey, can you help me out here? I don't understand what this is, or what do you suggest? I once, uh, when we first moved down here, we went to a restaurant, and uh, my wife and I are sitting there, and I asked the guy, I was like, hey, can you describe to me like what's on this burger? It's like a little vague. And uh, next thing I know, he, he's like repeating something that sounded very familiar. So I looked down at the menu. This guy had memorized the entire menu. So then I was like, okay, maybe he doesn't know about that one. So my wife asked about something else. He's quoting the description on the entire menu each and every single time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like this guy's not helping us out whatsoever. He's not helping. Finally, after like a couple of things, the guy looks at us and goes, listen, guys, you're my first table ever. And uh, all I know is that I memorized this menu and I'm good to go. And uh, my Southern family would say, oh, bless your heart. Um, but he didn't help us at all. Like, it was completely useless. And then the other night, it was about two weeks ago, we went out with some friends, and we went to a, uh, a burger place. And we start asking the, you know, the waiter, uh, you know, what do you suggest? This guy was able to tell me, the wind's blowing in the east. Miguel is on the grill. He's heavy on the cheese. Do you like cheese? Because if you like cheese, this is what's going on. I mean, it was absolutely amazing the way he described it. He's like, you give him two options. He's like, he's like how hungry are you? Oh, I'm pretty hungry. Oh, then you don't want to go with A. You want to go with B because this is, and he starts giving me the intricacies of them. It was absolutely fantastic. It was the type of waiter that I want, I wanted. He knew the menu. He didn't just know the menu. He, he ate the menu. I, I'm pretty sure he tasted everything on the menu because he had something to say about every little thing that we asked him. And that's the idea of theology is that, is that we need to get to know it. We need to ingest it. We need, to, we need to be able to understand it and communicate it for ourselves and for others that ask about it. It's to interject. That's why it's so valuable. The other reason why it's so valuable is that it can help fortify our faith and our walk. You see, it's back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, where we started in red, which is going to be the theme verse for these um, nine weeks. But uh, as, as we read, it says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, the first thing is doctrine. He tells us what we should be doing. The second thing that we see is reproof. He says, hey, you're not actually doing the doctrine thing right, so stop right there. Then there's the correction. He's not just going to leave us there and say, hey, you're doing it wrong. He's going to turn us around and point us in the right direction. And once he points us in the right direction, he's going to give us instructions now on how to walk and move forward. Theology is going to help fortify our walk and faith. It's going to help shape us so that we can be complete and thoroughly equipped for every single good work that God has intended for us. That's the idea of theology. That's why we need to study theology. That's why it's a good idea that we're doing these nine-week series of essential doctrines. You see, all Christians are called to theology. Every single Christian is called theology in the most basic sense. If scripture calls us to grow in the knowledge of God, then our pursuit of knowledge then becomes an act of Christian obedience. I'll say that again. All Christians are called to the basics of theology because scripture calls us to grow in the knowledge of God. And then the pursuit of this knowledge of God 
is going to be an act of Christian obedience. You see, we're supposed to grow in our knowledge. Now, there's one problem that, that happens as we continue to grow in our knowledge, or as, not even as we continue to grow in our knowledge, as we do this whole Christian walk. There's a thing called the enemy. And you see, there's major dangers that comes with doctrine. There's major dangers that come with false doctrine. I just said that, and it sounded like stranger danger. Anybody ever taught that as a kid? Like, stranger danger. No, it's really, I mean, <laughs> it goes hand in hand, because as soon as this, like, evil doctrine comes up, you should be yelling stranger danger. Um, <laughs> but there is dangers and false doctrines. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Um, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. He mentions three things there. And just so you know, now the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times. We're living in those latter times, just so everybody understands. And the latter times, are, these, are, these are the same things that they were encountering in those days. It's the same things that we're encountering today and the same things that uh, if the Lord, you know, delays the coming, that our children and our children's children are going to encounter in the same thing. So the dangers of false doctrine. The first thing that I want to take a look at is the danger of apostasy. It's some will depart the faith. You see, some are going to leave the essential teachings of the Christian faith. Not just that. The danger of deception. We see deceiving spirits. Demonic spirits will seek to deceive you. It's something that they are looking to do. They are looking to entice you away from the truth. That's something that they're out doing. If you are a Christian, they are going to come after you. We see it all throughout the Bible. Think about it. Right from the beginning of the Bible, we see that. Genesis chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Satan reveals himself to Eve as a serpent. And what does he try to convince her? The idea that we can be gods and operate independently from God. He deceives Eve. He deceives Adam. Right from the beginning we see that. You see it in your own everyday lives. It's something that we have to beware of. Listen, I've been there and I've done it and it's been absolutely brutal where I've made myself my own God in my life and I've operated independently from God. It didn't end well whatsoever. It ended in disaster. It actually what helped drive me to God, realizing that I couldn't do it um, by myself and that I wasn't good enough by myself. You see, it's not just that. There's a complete danger in false teachings. False teachings will continue to rise. And we see that right there, the doctrines of the demons. The demons are theology majors. They have their doctorate's degree. They have 10 doctorate's degrees. They know the word of God, and they know how to twist it. You see, there is major danger, stranger danger, in uh, the dangers of doctrine and false doctrine. Why? Because Satan is the father of lies. Satan is the father of lies. And not any of us are protected. He will go after anybody he can, even Jesus. It's Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Look at how he attacks Jesus with theology. Then Jesus led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
and when he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. Satan knew when to go after him. He was clever. It's been 40 days since Jesus had eaten or, or drank. I don't know if anybody's ever made it through lunch without eating. And then you hit like 3 o'clock and you're like just like absolutely your stomach starts like twisting and turning. And then you eat so much that you can't eat for dinner the next two nights. Um, but Jesus has fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And now when he is at a weakness... We see what happens. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, Satan was able to tempt him, but it didn't work because Jesus had his theology correct. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. He said, listen, all this can be yours. Lift yourself up on it. And Jesus says, he actually used scripture. Out of context, he takes scripture to deceive him. Jesus said, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And again, the devil took him up an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall not worship the Lord. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. You see, Jesus was able to withstand the dangers of doctrine because he understood correct doctrine. Jesus had his theology correct. So why is knowing theology important? Well, one is so that we don't worship um, God or walk out our faith the way that we want to, so that we walk it out the way that God wants us to. Um, it's to help us fortify our faith and our walk with Christ and also, we need to understand theology and how it's so important so that we don't find ourselves uh, falling to false doctrine and false theology. And then finally, the third point that we're going to be looking at today is how to be a good theologian. And this is going to be relevant to us in these nine uh, weeks and not just these nine weeks for the rest of our entire lives. You see, this is going to be how to be a good uh, student in summer school, how to be a good student in everyday life. These are going to be our class rules for this week. If you remember, follow directions, single file, um, listen when others are talking, uh, be safe, um, no chewing gum. Those are the class rules that I can remember. I never understood the no chewing gum thing because I don't think any teacher actually, like, there was always that one teacher everyone had, like, the teacher has a hand, you spit it out in her hand, it was, like, disgusting. Um, but outside of that, no one really paid attention to that. I really don't get it. Um, but how to be a good theologian. The first thing you need to realize is that every single person sitting in this room, if you didn't recognize this from the beginning of this sermon, is that every single person sitting in this room is a theologian. Like it or not, you guys are all theologians. So suck it up, and now we're going to learn how to be a good theologian. So the only question, now that we've established that you are a theologian, the only question is whether you are keeping sound theology or you're keeping too poor theology. You see, you either are doing theology well or you're doing it very poorly. 
Um, there's never a time when you are not doing it at all. So you guys are constantly going to find yourselves doing theology. But how to be a good theologian, the very first thing that it is, is study. Diligence to investigate the truth of God's word. That's going to be the first thing that you can do to be a good theologian, is study. Have diligence. Study God's word and find and investigate the truth for yourself. Don't let Andrew just spoon feed you. Don't let him come up and just, you know, tell you everything you know, and then you're like, oh, I'm all fed, I'm all good, I got all the information I need on Sunday, and then you guys don't show up on the Thursday night that we have that goes a little bit deeper into it, and then you won't find yourself studying at home and really taking a look at what you truly believe, why you separate this, and um, how it actually happens. Andrew's going to give us an overview on Sundays, but it's our duty to investigate, to find out for ourselves what we believe, what we believe. You see... It's eight times in the Bible this phrase is mentioned. Make every effort. Eight times in the New Testament it says, make every effort to add to your faith. It mentions it eight times for a reason. Because we need to constantly be reminded that there is an effort that's required of us to be a good theologian. That we need to continue to add on to our faith. That we need to continue um, to, to grow. Now, there's a, in the book of Acts, we're going to look at it right now, in Acts chapter 17, verses 10 through 15, there's a group of people called the Bereans. This is exactly what they did. They had diligence to investigate the truth of God's word. Look what it says of them. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there, so that those who conducted Paul through, I'm sorry, brought him to Athens, receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come with him with all speed that they departed. So they went to these Bereans. And there's one thing that it says about the Bereans, that it, they were much more notable than the other people that they went to. You see, they were willing to receive the word of God with all eagerness. They wanted to hear it. They wanted to hear a different perspective. They wanted to look at something a little bit different. And you see, they were eager to hear all these teachings that Paul and Silas was bringing to them. They said, give us more. Keep going. Keep going. I want to hear it. Tell me everything that you have. You see, they are the ones that sat in the front row at school. They were the teacher's pets. They were the ones that came and brought the apple for the teacher, and they did good, and they couldn't do any wrong. And even if they did wrong, the teacher still looked at you and said, it was your fault. That, it was like personal things, I guess, that just came out. Um, but they sat in the front of the class, and they diligently wanted to learn and hear and learn and grow. That's who they were. You see, it also says that they examined what they heard. They didn't take it just at face value. They took a deeper look at it. You see, they conducted further personal research. After Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they all leave. They continue to study. 
They continue to research. They continue to look into it. After Sunday, they don't just go home and say, oh, that was a great teaching. They dig deeper. They go to Thursday night where Andrew's going to talk a little bit deeper. But one of the things Andrew's going to do, he's going to present to you different views, but he's not going to tell you what to believe. It's something that you have to do yourself. It's something that you have to investigate yourself. It's something that you have to recognize that I want to be a Berean. I want to be notable. I want to be the one that wants to know more. I want to hear more. I want to understand more. I want to investigate this deeper because I want it to be my own. It's one thing if someone tells you something. It's another thing that if you come to the realization of something by you studying it in-depthly yourself. Amen? The next thing isn't just for us to study. That's not the only way for us to be a good theologian um, during this uh, time and for the rest of our lives. The second thing is to pass the test of knowledge. You have to pass the test. You see, knowledge is not enough. Just understanding that what it is is one thing, but it's another thing to have right living. You cannot have right living without right knowledge. So you have to have right knowledge first, and then once you have right knowledge and once you know something, then you can actually walk in what you know, but you first have to know what you know. hope that wasn't too confusing. Um, but theology ultimately begins and starts in your head. That's the first place it, it begins and it starts. But it can't just end there. It has to be accompanied by prayer. It has to be accompanied by meditation. And it has to be accompanied by you actually living out the things that you are learning. Um, once you actually do that, the amazing thing, it's going to transform and change your lives like you've never seen anything before. Once you actually start carrying out the theology that you're actually learning and understanding, watch it change you. Watch it change you who you are. Watch it change your understanding of things. Remember I said it's ligaments that ties everything together and holds your body together? Well, as you start to understand more and more, you'll start recognizing, oh, that's what the Jews did? That's why the Jews did this? Oh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they're not completely separate? They go together? Oh, God did this, and this is the reason why God made these statements? Because it supports this? And it'll start to tie everything together. And then as you start to tie everything together and you start walking in it, it becomes real. And once you actually walk in it and it becomes real, it becomes who you are, then your entire life will change. So it's past the test of knowledge. And you see, the true test of passing is at the end of it, after I've studied, after I've carried out these things, did it produce faith, hope, and love in my life? That's how you'll know you passed. If your life is now showing faith, hope, and love, it will show that you passed. You see, Jesus... This is exactly how he taught. He taught something, and then he expected the disciples to live it out. It's uh, our next area of scripture. It's Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. It says, On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Jesus ever tells you, you encounter Jesus and he tells you to get in a boat, I suggest highly not to. Every time the disciples are told to get in a boat, something terrible happens. We're getting ready to see. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? 
Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and they said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You see, what I didn't show you is that prior, all day long, Jesus was teaching parables. He was teaching parables about faith. He was teaching the parable of the mustard seed. So he's teaching all day long, practically, the disciples, what is faith? What does it look like? How does it manifest itself? How am I going to tell a story that makes you understand what faith truly is? That's what he's teaching the disciples all day long. And then what does he do? He tests their faith. And so he sends them out in a boat, you know, lets everything get a little crazy. The guys are thinking they're going to die. And then they wake him up after trying and struggling for hours and hours of, you know, bailing the water out of the boats. So we only see this, this side of the story, but if we look at another gospel message, you can get the whole picture and bring it all together. These guys were fearful of their lives. They literally thought they were going to die. And so they go to Jesus and they wake him up and they say, Teacher, do you not even care? Do you not even care that we're dying right now? And Jesus says, um, did you guys not get the whole thing that I just told you about? We were talking about faith. And you guys just completely missed it. You have no faith. You failed the test. You see, it's one thing to hear and to get and to understand and hear the lessons. It's another thing to actually carry out the lessons that were being taught. You see, you want to find yourself being a good theologian? You have to pass the test of knowledge. You have to carry out these things. So as you are learning and as you are intaking all this information and all these weird words and you're finding out what they truly mean to you, know that you're going to be tested by God, that there are going to be tests. And are you going to pass or are you going to fail? Are you going to produce faith, hope, and love? Or is Jesus going to look at you and say, did you guys not learn anything, you know, just a couple of hours ago? How to be a good theologian is not just studying. It's not just passing the test. The, another huge aspect of it is, is respect your classmates. Respect them. Now, it seems like a pretty obvious thing, um, but listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. You see, if you have knowledge that is making you proud or prideful and not making you loving, you really have nothing. I'm going to say that again. If you have knowledge that is puffing you up or making you prideful and not loving and not edifying, you have nothing. If you find yourself being your head growing and your heart getting smaller and you find yourself um, becoming more prideful of what do, what do I know? Look how much I know. You're not doing yourself a favor. You're not doing anybody else a favor. You absolutely have nothing. See, it's not just that. You don't ever want to be a guy that argues or a woman that argues every little thing about every little thing. I'm sure everybody has, has run into that person where you just make a statement and you know, you just, you just wait. Okay, what's, what's he going to say now? What's a, you know, you can make the most correct, politically correct statement possible. Oh, what about that? Well, what about that? And then they start questioning everything and they start, you know, really like, those people drive me absolutely insane. And um, 
there's two, there's two thoughts about these types of people. There's, uh, are they going to argue the primary things of theology, or are they going to argue the secondary things of theology? You see, there's two different sections. There's the primary um, idea of doctrine, and these are the essential truths to our faith. These are the things that there is no arguing about, that God is very black and white, that Jesus Christ never sinned. You can't fight that. You can't argue that. That is essential to our faith. That is essential to our salvation. So the primary things are the things that are essential to what we believe. Then there's going to be the secondary things, the things that don't really affect your salvation, but they can still cause discomfort. For instance, the correct way to baptize somebody. Do you sprinkle water on their head or do you do a full submersion? Um, argue it. <laughs> don't argue it is what I'm saying. Um, but it's the interpretation of gifts. Are you going to fight over the interpretation of gifts? Um, is it, is it, are you pre-trib and someone else is post-trib and now you guys are in a battle at it? Like, it's not going to absolutely help anything. It's not going to uh, help anybody um, if you are the guy that's constantly arguing about every little thing. So there are the primary things that there is no arguing. It's black and white. Sorry, you can try arguing me. But if you're arguing against this, you're truly, your salvation's in question and we need to have a different talk. Um, but then there's the secondary things that we're going to learn about. And Andrew's not necessarily going to tell you um, this is what the Bible teaches and show you different things and let you determine that. But don't let that become an area where you become disrespectful to the people that are in class with you. And when I say in class with you, I'm not just talking about within our church. I'm not just talking about within Thursday night. I'm talking about within the church in general, the class of life where you're walking alongside somebody. Don't let yourself and your knowledge become disrespectful to someone else. Especially if the Bible is not 100% black and white on it, don't make someone feel like an idiot because they look at something differently than you. Because you might actually be the idiot in their eyes. They're just much nicer than you and won't tell you. <laughs> Um, the next point I want to throw up there is, a, uh, is this quote. Theology isn't a sledgehammer with which to hit people. It's a pillow which they can lay their weary heads. Burke Parsons. Absolutely amazing. Who likes getting hit with a sledgehammer? Absolutely nobody. No one wants to be attacked. No one wants to make you uh, feel awkward and uncomfortable. That's not the idea of theology. Theology is supposed to tie everything together so that we could have comfort and understanding, so that we can have a conversation about God. Remember, that's what theology is. It's talk about God. So it's not supposed to smash somebody or hurt anybody or cause any harm. That's all your pride. That's all your head knowledge. That's all everything that is not of God. It's supposed to be a pillow in which we lay our weary heads on, where we have questions about things, and now they're solved, and it's like, oh, thank you, now I understand. I didn't understand this before, but now I understand. I was struggling with this, but now because I understand the theology and I understand what justification is, now I don't have to be as stressed because I understand what God truly did for me. You see, theology wraps up everything about God. It's the talk. It's the conversation. It's everything about God. So how to be a good theologian? Listen, find yourself studying. Find yourself diligent about investigating the truth that is going to be presented to you. Find yourself passing the test. 
Does your life produce faith, hope, and love? And then find yourself respecting your classmates. Find yourself respecting people in the church. Don't be the sledgehammer. You see, it was hopefully now you have a better understanding of what theology is and that maybe it has become relevant to you. Maybe you didn't realize that you were a theologian or that you were called to grow in theology and be a better theologian. But hopefully now you understand why theology is so important and why Andrew wants to take nine weeks to cover some main topics of theology, only just to wet your tongue to get you to want to investigate it more yourself. And hopefully now you understand how to be a good student or a good theologian. You see, love of God and knowledge of God go hand in hand. Love of God and knowledge of God go hand in hand. Amen? I'm going to have the worship team start to head out as we close here. But we love God because we know something about him. I want you guys to know that. There is something about God that caused you to love him. And because we love him, we should desire to grow in our knowledge of him. Because if we love something, we're going to want to get to know it more and more and more. Just like my wife. I want to get to know her, how to love her more and more and more. And every single day, I feel like I'm learning how to love her more and more and more. Sometimes that, the fight produces that. And uh, you really don't like that? Oh, now it finally came out? Okay, now I know, though, not to do that in the future. But God desires that we get to know him more and more and more. You see, our growth in knowledge of him will transform our lives and renew our minds. So the more that we study theology, the more that we study these things about God, the more that we have these talks about God, the more our lives are going to change the more that we're going to look more like God. That's the best result of theology. The more we study and the more we practice it, the more we look like Christ. It was Paul. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He wasn't saying that he was perfect like Christ. He was saying, listen, I'm on this pursuit to follow Christ and to do the things that he wants to do. But we can't do those things that Christ did unless we know the things that Christ did. And we can't know the things that Christ did unless we are studying theology and the word of God. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to visit us in person, we gather at Don Estridge High Tech Middle School in Boca Raton, Florida, every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more sermon content and information, you can check out solaschurch.com.